0: Welcome to Students Incorporated, a podcast exploring the topics of business, education, technology, and design. I'm your host, Mr. Jason. Join me weekly as my team and I produce content that's informative, positive, fun, and uplifting. Episodes include student conversations, interviews with thought leaders, and inspirational stories with an international flavor. This podcast is created and produced with the help of students from the International Community School of Bangkok. In today's episode, Premi and I will be talking with a local design professional, Mr. Pami, the co-founder of Shakes, a strategic design studio based in Bangkok. I'm especially excited to be part of the conversation as it resonates with my own professional journey before moving into the educational field. But before we get into our design talk, let's hear our quote of the day and get some headline news.
1: Our quote of the day comes from Tim Brown, a chair of IDEO, a well-known global design and innovation firm. His quotas have said, Design can help to improve our lives in the present. Design thinking can help us chart a path into the future. Design thinking allows us to envision and plan for a better future by considering human needs, technological advancements, and societal changes, paving the way for progress and positive change
0: we start off with some exciting art news from here in Bangkok. Watch Claude Monet's works come to life with a new exhibition at Icon Siam called Monet and Friends Alive Bangkok. This follows the success of a previous exhibition named Van Gogh Alive Bangkok. Dive deep into an immersive exhibition where more than 3,500 artworks by Claude Monet and other greats bring to life through augmented and virtual reality. The event is open now through January 7th and will be held at the attraction Hall on the sixth floor of Icon Siam. Now on to some news from the great city of Chicago. By the way, if you ever visit Chicago, I recommend taking a stroll down the Chicago Riverwalk. It's a free public space and it rewards you with some incredible views of Chicago's most iconic architecture. A new building complex named One Chicago features two tall towers that include 850 residential units. It also includes offices, retail outlets, and other amenities. The project has been awarded an International Architectural Award for its design as it focuses on maximizing available space by expanding vertically. It provides incredible natural lighting for the residents while also minimizing the amount of space the buildings obstruct from the view of neighboring buildings. In finally, some news from another big city, Tokyo. Pace Art Galleries is opening its latest exhibition in the spring of 2024. The opening of the new gallery followed the Japanese Ministry of Trade's announcement granting foreign art galleries certain tax benefits. The gallery will take up three floors of the building and follow the theme of a glass pavilion popping through a lawn. Pace's current influences in the Japanese art industry includes Team Lab, a Japanese art group that blends Technology with Art, Creating Immersive Art Installations Using Screens. And that ends our headline news. I've got to admit that since starting this podcast show last year, I've had several people ask why we include design as one of our main overarching themes. Design, whether it's a product or a graphical message, a system, a process, a building or a city, these are all things that are affect our lives. So I'm glad Mr. Palmi has joined us today to help keep this topic front and center, because we seldom think about the subtle ways our lives are affected by good or bad design. With that said, Premi will start us off with some if you questions.
1: Welcome to the show, Mr. Palmi. Would you mind introducing yourself and then tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Hi, good morning. Yes, thank you for inviting me. And uh, my name is Pomi Hak. I'm the creative director and co-founder of Shakespeare KK, a creative design agency in Bangkok.
1: And now jumping into our first if you question, if you were able to go back in time and meet a famous artist or designer who had a significant influence on culture and society, who would you visit and why?
2: Okay, I thought about this question a little bit. And um, it's kind of hard because I think a lot of my role models are still alive today. So you can kind of see that design itself is not maybe that old yet so like some of my favorite designers like Richard Sapper, uh, Dieter Rams, um, they, they're still alive today. I mean they, they're quite old but they're still alive and um, but if I had to go and visit one of the you know the masters um, maybe I'd love to meet Da Vinci. I kind of think Da Vinci was like the free runner of everything in terms of innovation and really thinking and stuff like that and, and I think the way he combined art, engineering, science, you know, into all one. Like, I think that's really, that was really impressive. So I'd like to basically pick his brain a little bit. So I think if if I had to had a chance to meet anyone, yeah, I'd really love to meet Da Vinci, maybe.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way about Da Vinci as far as just, he was a great designer, fine arts, but also
2: engineering yeah it's a tech like engineering he, mind he so, thought of so many things before anyone else and it's like it's just interesting interesting to see in a, in his time too you know in, his, in yep. a time where like people did not really you know have any sense of what we understand as being scientific as well
0: so, yeah inventing things yeah. that people never seen before yeah. right so uh we have another if you question if you had to choose only one s- design style or trend to focus on what would you choose and why? For example, like minimalism, art deco, constructionism, realism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I'm, I always tell my my new guys to learn about design directions and design history. In, in a sense, so um, I think since I was a student, so, uh, since I was a student, I've always been really interested in Bauhaus because I'm also from Germany. In a sense, you know, so that always stuck with me and the Bauhaus movement is sort of like yeah what I really consider as maybe good design in a way that you combine crafts, arts um, and 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 technology to, to create um, a functional product in a sense that can be mass produced so it's always about a little bit I don't like art for art's sake you know in a sense so it's more about taking some artistic form and mm-hmm. then also being able to mass produce it for let's say the greater good
1: and for our last if you question if you were able to design your own house and you had unlimited resources, what would it look like and where
2: would you put it? That's a dream. Um, that so a dream. I was always imagining to have um, a more like elongated house that's sort of like a long table, like a long dinner table sort of with friends. You can invite friends and I'd imagine that to be sort of like parallel to a glass wall you know, something that's really nice. And you look outside and you have like maybe mountains or forests or something. It's more like, almost like a Scandinavian sort of mix with concrete sort of Bauhaus style where you have some warmth and some cold together. Um, And I always just like dreamt of having having a a nice kitchen where I can cook. I love cooking. So uh, I love entertaining and uh, hosting for people. So I uh, I love to have a great kitchen and then this dining desk there, you know, uh, extended from the kitchen and then the living quarters maybe on top. So yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, that would be sort of a dream house in some sense.
0: I like that. That sounds nice. Uh, moving on to some questions about your company and what it does. Uh, can you tell us more about Shakes Bangkok and how it came to be, and then what inspired you to start this company and what sets it apart
2: from others in the industry? Yeah, we've been around like for almost twelve years now. So, um, I think I had no choice. I always tell people I had no choice starting the company because I was basically I, I've worked as a creative director for a lot of some of the leading there's not that many creative agencies in bangkok um especially industrial design um so i've worked with them for i think three five years before i decided to go out on my on my own and so the reason really was because i i didn't have many other places to go to at that time and i had imagined a place where um creativity like design would always come in contact with engineering um, on the production side and so that's also the backbone of our company in the sense that my partner and me are um, one is a designer and one is a mechanical engineer and so we sort of pride ourselves in the ability to take design into manufacturing um, with sensibility I suppose and also basically um, not just focusing on the looks and aesthetics um, and the idea you know which sometimes tend to be too crazy to to be made uh, and so and this is a good balance because I am that kind of crazy sometimes and he's the kind of more like resolved and logical person to kind of cut me down when I need to be cut out. And so we work really well in that balance, and I think that's what the clients uh, or that's what our clients even told us that they really appreciate that sort of harmony and the kind of like counter reflection um, on our products.
1: Craziest dreams are the best dreams. Mm-hmm.
2: Sure, they you need some crazy to push you just, the agenda.
1: Right, but you, know? you also need the functionality yeah. and everything else. So you two sound like a great team. <laughs> How could you share an example of a project where your company's approach has made a significant impact?
2: Yeah, we had a few bigger projects, I think, in the past. like Just recently, I would say the most exciting one that we've worked on is called Motion One. It's basically um, a gaming chair, a haptic gaming chair. It's probably the, it's actually the world's first haptic gaming chair. And so, what it does, it actually reacts to games that you play on uh, the PC. So, for example, um, if you're driving, uh, if you're like playing Forza or Colin McRae, uh, the chair itself will actually move in, in like shifting gears and stuff like that. So, it'll have like some tilt back action and um, it's got like a lot of texturing. So, it's actually very fun. It's a really fun experience to sit on a chair. And the thing, it's actually built as a normal chair. Like, it looks almost like a normal office chair. So you have, yeah, the advantage of not just having this cool gaming experience, but also just having a really nice chair to sit on. And with that one, it was pretty much like 0 to 100 in a sense that we were presented with the technology, which is the D-Box, the actual motion haptic engine inside. And then we're like, okay, let's put this on a chair. And so we sort of like, yeah put our heads together and came up with the concept for the chair um, and how to integrate it um, with some of the functional benefits and features that had to be put into the chair and then after the initial concept stage was done then you know my partner he he took it on and he put it into production basically so he yeah so 3d cad cam all that kind of stuff mm. so it was a very sort of like it was a almost like one and a half years um in, in development and uh, i think during that time, there's always that forth and back, you know, in a sense that we have to make adjustments and improve and uh, prototype and then go back and make new changes. And And so if you don't have, let's say, a team or a partnership like us, it's very difficult to sort of like integrate the design flow into the actual manufacturing and the changes that we need to be made. And so I think that was a good example of like how, yeah, design thinking in a sense can also be translated into like a sensible product experience and then
0: getting that into manufacturing and like scaling up the manufacturing
2: because it's not just because uh because we we as an agency work um obviously in in thailand and then the manufacturing is for example in china and there's a lot of translation you know between what we want here and the factories that are doing the actual work and so you need another specific mind just to be able to you know, uh, work between the factories and what is you know what we want and what they can actually do, right. and so we don't. You know, it's a compromise game in a sense, but you you want up, you want to end up with the best compromise of course possible. So, um, the more experience you have and the more knowledge you have about engineering itself, you you also be able to instruct some of the factories, you know, of what they might be able to change in order to get there. So,
0: kind of on this idea like doing business with design and taking a product to uh, manufacture and then also to the consumer. But also that chair reminds me of just the amount of technology that has to go into a product as well. Not only design, but like the, the engineering, the coding, all that kind of stuff. So our next question then kind of is along that line, how does your studio try to keep ahead of the curve and keep things fresh for your clients without being too trendy? And then also that
2: idea of like staying on budget and on timeline as well. I think the biggest word in there is strategy for us. Mm. So I think before we start with a with with a project, um, we usually um, really look at the strategy that we, like a design strategy and maybe business strategy together in a sense. Um, so we always make a proposal first, I think, to the client. And that in that proposal, we actually look at trend reports. We, we look at, um, for example, there's a trend report called Jim Walter Thompson Future 100, which is really interesting and it's free. So I encourage everyone to kind of check that out every year. They do quite a good job on finding micro-trends and things like that. Um, So we look at that a little bit. We try to, you know, um, sort of have an idea of what um, the future may hold and might change um, socially, culturally, and stuff like that. Um, So that helps with being trendy, maybe, you know, in a sense. Um, And otherwise, yeah, it's pretty much strategy. So it's, it's very much like, what is your business goal? Um, you know what is what is the cost? What is uh, what when is the launch time? For example, stuff like that. Uh, and so we we align all the expectations at first, um, just to be clear about what we need to deliver, and then um, we sort of look into the product value and the business the proposition. You know the value propositions and stuff like that. Um, so we we ap- approach design more as a business goal, I, I, I guess, because not so much as an artistic endeavor um, and so um, it's important for us to yeah, align the goals and align what um, the client wants to do with the project and what he hopes for and I think that itself is keeping us from becoming too trend driven and too like, sort of like gutsy in a sense it also really depends on which client we're dealing with you know some bigger clients you know their, their priority is shareholders right. so then it's like okay you know we have a we have to be safe in some sense. And then there's other clients where can we where we can just go a little bit more, you know, intense and more crazy. Uh, and so, yeah, it really depends. But I think the key word being is, is a strategy to really think about what you want to do at first and then devise the roadmap for that.
1: And now branching out broader than just Bangkok, we know that Shakes is based in Bangkok, but you also serve international clients. So what are some unique opportunities or challenges you've encountered?
2: Um, the reason why we serve international clients is mainly is because I'm probably more international in my thinking um, and also there is more value and more opportunity internationally um, to really focus more on industrial design. Um, and so in the past we have had clients from Taiwan, Hong Kong, China for sure and things like that. Not, we haven't branched out to European um, brands or something like that um, but I think the unique opportunity within Thailand is that one good thing about it is that we have a sort of freedom. I mean, besides all the political drama and all the other stuff that we, you know, tend to be worried about here in Thailand, like in, in, when you compare Thailand to other neighboring countries, you still enjoy a pretty good, you know, freedom. And, and like, there's no suppressive sort of, you know, it's not suppressive like other countries around us. And so you have this freedom, you have this ability to move around and, and express yourself in some sense and enjoy all that. And so that allows for a good environment I guess to be creative and, and so that helps. Secondly, I think is that lots of clients love Thailand. they love coming here. So if they have a choice between coming to Thailand for work and China, they'll be coming to Thailand. So they so this is the idea. I heard this from a client in fact actually um, from an American client that is like, I love Thailand. Why would I go to China if I had a chance to work with someone in Thailand, right? And so it's almost to the point that they can accept um, that some of the work may be slower, which is a tr- which is true. Um, the you know the Thai lifestyle doesn't really lend itself to very fast action sort of like work, right. and and the, the level of commitment to work is very different from, for example, like Japan or Singapore, even mm-hmm. right. But they can accept that because they really love Thailand. They love coming here. They love the people. Love the food. Of course, everything um, about Thailand makes them. You know, happy to come, and so that's a great opportunity, a unique feature actually of Thailand. And so we're we're quite happy being here. And I think it's a good place to to design. And there's a lot of design culture too, mm. uh, crafts wise, arts wise. So um, that all helps, I think, and feeds it um, feed into the creative spirit in Thailand.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like uh, when we moved here, the the creative aspect of just the culture, and even the way people think about. How they set up their own small business and what they're competing with, uh, how they did do their design and everything. We just there, I, I just felt like there was a lot of inspiration yeah. we saw from even small mom and pop type yeah. businesses. So, so that was fun to kind of discover that in Thailand. And it's a beautiful country and uh, low cost of living. Yeah. So that's really good. All right. So that concludes our first segment. We'll be right back with more design talk with Mr. Palmy right after this short announcement.
1: For sports, our varsity players did a great job last Saturday at the NIST Invitational Tournament. Give some affirmation to our amazing athletes when you see them in the hallways. For musicals, if you didn't know already, Seuss tickets are out now. Go buy your tickets by the front of the school and support our actors and techies. Another event you might be interested in, there's a Nakhon Hamala 10th Lunar Month Festival from 25th September to 14th October 2023. Go check it out.
0: We are back with our second segment with Mr. Palmy. Premi will start us off with our first question.
1: Back on the subject of design and business, what are some general issues you encounter in the design business?
2: Design business is best compromised in one word. It's, it's chaos. It's basically chaos. And all you do as an owner of a design business is to put order into chaos. And so wherever you look, it's just chaos. And it's it's ne- necessarily so, because as creative people, we manage chaos. It's like without chaos, you can't actually create something new. You need to break down, you know, stuff and then just reinvent it, right? So you have this this constant misery, actually, even to, to being in that place where you just have to, you know, challenge yourself and just come up with something new. And it's... Yeah, and so issues with that is, is it's manifold it's just like chaos at with people um, chaos with the project itself um, and then clients too it's it's all just um, chaos to manage for you as a designer too I think it's like your main job is to to be so self-critical about yourself in the first place and then like establish a, a mentality of reflection with design yeah I think it's mainly like this idea of that you have to manage everyone's chaos especially your your clients as well because they don't really know sometimes <laughs> they're like they're not they in order you know they're like in order and there's, there's this quote I think um, I wrote it down it's basically like Steve Martin said it um, he's a comedian right American comedian it's like chaos in the midst of chaos isn't funny but chaos in the midst of order is great right so it's that idea that um, you have to be aware of I think
0: that's really good so that begs the question where would the world be without designers right very chaotic very chaotic Alright, our next question is, what are some ways you see this industry evolving in the near future with the rise of new technologies, trends, and like even knowledge?
2: Um, of course, there's AI on the horizon. That's one of the new technologies. I, I think it's great. Okay, th- it's great for us in the terms of when we look at design, um, like starting from generative fields for Photoshop. Um, like, we can work so much faster now like for smaller things that we sort of like spent hours on before. Um, so that's it's a great tool when it comes to being a tool, basically. I don't think it's here to replace us, not in the n- very near future anyway. It's not there yet. Um, in any case, I still really believe in AI as a tool and I think it helps to make things a lot faster. So projects, um, concepts... Um, concept stages, um, basic communications, like all the things that you need to manage your project, even from a design point of view, it makes it a lot faster. In terms of industrial design and product design, I think we've sort of hit a wall in the last few years in a sense that production and manufacturing hasn't evolved really so, so much further than where we've come from at the beginning in terms of industrial revolution. I mean, when you look at manufacturing, it's sort of still the same methods, um, injection molding and stuff like that. So there's this aging manufacturing sort of technology there that hasn't pushed industrial design itself further than we we could have, yeah, we could push our, ourselves now. And so I feel like um, a lot of, because of that, a lot of development has been going more into like UX and UI digital sort of technologies because there's more room to grow. Um, and then we sort of like... Um, stepped away a little bit from the industrial design on the product side uh, on the product side i think that down the next 10 years i think we'll find maybe more emphasis on product design again where we're trying to connect what we build digitally with the physical world similar to that that motion that gaming chair where it's all been digital in the last few years and we've done amazing things you know digitally and we've come to the points where like what we see on the screen, it's lifelike. It's like real time lifelike. And it's amazing. But it's just there on the screen. Like it there's a lack of connection between like our experience, like our physical experience to it. And the other sad thing is of course that actually we could just go outside, right? And we right. Could just take our bike and you know, go outside and feel something. Mm-hmm. But there's there's these worlds on the screen, these fantasy worlds that are amazing, right? But then we lack that sort of connection. And I think in the future, there will be more immersive products. In a sense, um, we see it also with Apple that you're doing a lot of, you know, the the, the goggles and stuff like yeah. that. All tend to go towards this idea of immersion, and I think that's maybe a trend to to probably watch out.
1: I feel like it'd be really intriguing to see where we go with technology in like the next few years. And now that we've talked a little bit about the future, here's a question about to the past. Are you seeing any trends or styles that were lost maybe to time or considered out-of-date that are coming back?
2: Yeah, I thought about that one. It's, uh, it's a little bit difficult. Like I think nowadays with everyone being so connected, there's so many micro-trends almost that have a lot of origin in the past. Like there's retro, there's um, art deco, there's all these kind of mixtures nowadays. It's almost like a global design language as in a sense of just, does it look nice? Right in a sense of it's not really a trend per se that everyone's following. Because I think in the last few years, everyone's just been sort of like down the minimalist hatch, you know, like with Apple being a leader for the last good 15, 20 years of like pushing out the white and the minimalist design and the Dieter Rams kind of um, language. And I think that's been sort of the the mass design trend and then there's a lot of other design trends from you know more retro styling to like like the Olivetti typewriter kind of thing right. especially in the gaming scene there's a lot of this uh, this very like 70s, 60s sort of um, mm-hmm. uh, comeback um, I don't think they're going t- to stay but they like niche things that people really buy into and that's the thing with like we are so connected these niche trends have actually purpose and meaning I'd say that product design itself has come to more functional mm-hmm being like purpose, rather than there's an aesthetic trend to it. Um, and in particular, there's no, I think there's no real like trend that we're missing. I think there's just enough people everywhere to buy into different niche. And so there are companies that are doing that too.
0: Right. So I'd love to hear some of your thoughts about a quote from a guy named Adam Judge. He included this quote in his book titled The Little Black Book of Design. He said, so this is his quote, he said, the alternative to good design is always bad design. There is no such thing as no design. So when you hear that statement, what are some of your thoughts? Yes, I I actually haven't read that book. Um, I haven't either, but I
2: I love the quote because it's either one or the other, right? Yeah, basically... It's the same as like saying um, good design goes to heaven and bad, de- bad design goes everywhere. Yeah. Um and so we had we had that mantra at university actually. Um a lot of us my fellows and we like, you know, were always like looking at at that at that quote. Um and I think um, it's true. So I can tell you from personal experience, like working with designers, that some designers who really do it out of compassion, like they're calling almost, they can't stop thinking about design all day long. I'm I'm similar to that. I can't stop thinking about stuff that I've just started, for example. And the reason for that is because I'm really worried about it. Because as a designer, you have responsibility. Say that way. You have a, a responsibility because you're giving birth to something new. Especially if it's uh, product design, where you actually work with materials and there's a physical thing coming out at the end, so you have a responsibility to really think about what you're doing because, in the end of the day, that it's a creation that's going to stay there for a couple of years, maybe longer. And so, when you have that responsibility, you really have to think about, you know, the purpose and the existence of it. Mm-hmm. Like, does it does it has a does it have a reason to be there? You know, and is it actually, yeah? Did it earn a, earn the right? To, to be called out into the living world, right? And then it's a bit like God, you know, like God created the world and he like took time, seven days like to perfect it, right? And you have the same responsibility in a sense that you need to really look at what you're doing with it and you have to give it meaning. And if you don't give it meaning, then you're just ending up with an unconscious choice that could be good or bad or maybe even worse maybe, end up somewhere even worse. And and so... Um, and that's a, that's a matter of responsibility. And like, not a lot of people have responsibility. <laughs> that's the other worrying part that some mm-hmm. designers will just do it because they just, you know, discard it. It's like, okay, oh, it's a paycheck maybe. You know, it's not something that you really do with, with meaningful purpose. And if you don't do that, yeah, then you have basically no design and that's bad design.
1: I love the metaphor of giving birth to a product, though. I think that's really powerful. And now moving on to a more reflective question. What are your thoughts about this statement? Every part of our life is affected by design.
2: Yes, in some sense. The thing is that for a lot of people, for the general public, they never perceive it as such. And that's the thing. It's like, as a designer, I see the world in a very different way. It's almost like you see, some people see things that no one else sees, right? In a sense. And we, I don't know if it's trained or if it's something that you you're born with I for me I think I've always have had the inclination to analyze what I touch and what I see uh, so when I see a product I automatically go to like oh how was this made right. and why is it there and like why is it better <laughs> and stuff like that and for the most for most people that's not really how they think about it for most people they just like it or they don't like it or it fulfills a certain purpose you know and and uh, they don't really understand why um, and so design good design of course touches everyone in the same way as like it's design intellect almost right it's like um you're thinking of design as a, into an intelligent being right and and so they are both really great intelligent designs and they're just Mediocre designs around the world, like it's, uh, like we come back to bad design, right? <laughs> and and unfortunately, I think most of the time, bad design touches us more than good design. Um, but it's also for the public. I think for, for the design itself, actually, your greatest achievement is to come up with a design that the public can just use without even knowing how it works, but it just works. That's the goal, right. anyway. It's sort of like the idea of being there without being there. Like, and I think that's that's the main goal of a designer. If you can achieve that, um, then I think you're pretty much there. So this kind of leads us into our
0: uh, one of our last questions of this segment. Uh, before we get to the top 10 list, which we would love for you to read, we typically ask for some advice from our guest uh, on the subject that they're talking about. So what advice would you give the average person? Maybe someone who doesn't consider themselves a designer or doesn't really think about it much. Uh, what advice would you give that person about design or design thinking, and how, or just being aware of good or bad design and how it affects our lives,
2: or even the community? Um, I was thinking about Capstone, actually. For example, like even like I've been I've been judging Capstone for for like the last three years, I think, and so I see some really good project and some you know projects that need a little bit more help. Um, I think advice in that sense, I would give that it's always good to self-reflect. Yeah. Um, it's always good to look at the problem point, from a point of view where it's serving a meaningful purpose, in a sense. So, for example, like, I have this um, metaphor. I read it somewhere. It's like, it's like this. So there, there was, like, a beggar on the street and then there's a, there's a son and a mother. And the son is, you know, pointing at the beggar. And one mother says, see, you have to work hard to not end up like this guy. And then there's another mother who says that, see, you have to work hard to help this person. And I, I think in a sense that's also like the way you approach design in a sense of like not just making it better for the sense of what you think it's better, but really like reflecting on how this would help another person and the meaning it would give to that person. So you have to give meaning to the design. And it starts with basically asking the right questions in the first place. So it takes imagination and creativity you know, that chaos thing to break into that chaos and put out, you know, pull out the meaning behind of what you're trying to do. Um, So that's, I think, that's the best kind of thing you can do just to reflect, to look at yourself, be self-critical, first of all, um, humble yourself um, in front of what you're doing, and really less trying to have some self-instinct, sure, you know, to, to sort of like asking the right questions, but then really step back a little bit and really see what you're coming up with is is going to you know help someone have a real purpose behind it for the last part of you know advice i think another interesting way to look at project is to tell a story to start really like that's what we do too and and, in projects and designs we like um tell stories because they last you know they're they're going to be around for a while and so um it makes up for you know humanity's history and I think when you approach a project um, with a story in mind of like where you came from and where you want to go, and that's, a, that's also a really great way to, to look at um, starting something.
1: That's really inspiring. And that's some great advice. Thank you so much. And now as we wrap up this last segment, we'd like to end on a more lighthearted note. Design deals with theory of color a lot. We've put together a top 10 list we'd love for you to read for us. It's called The Top 10 Colors Rejected by Pantone. In case our listeners are not familiar with what Pantone is, it's a company that created a color matching system which is used by design professionals around the world. It's very popular. So without further ado, Mr. Pomi, could you read out our list for us?
2: Okay, so I started at the top, right? So 10. Roadkill Grey. A rather morbid name for a colour, evoking unfortunate roadside scenes. And then 9, Cavity Yellow, a colour that might make you think of dental problems. 8, Dandruff White, not the most flattering name for a shade of white. 7, Zombie Flash, a name that invokes images of the undead and decay. 6, bath Bag Blue, a colour name that associates with motion sickness and nausea. 5, Hospital Beige. Named after the often dull and inspiring color schemes in hospitals. 4. Black-eyed purple. An unfortunate reference to the discoloration associated with a bruised eye. Uh. <laughs> and uh, 3. Rotten Tomato Red. Not the most appetizing name for a colour. Uh, number 2. Moldy cheese green, a name that conjures, conjures images of unsightly dark green mold. And the number one color name rejected by Pantone was Baby Diaper Brown. A color name that might remind people of changing a baby's diaper. And there you have it. That is some super high quality comedy
0: right there. Thank you, Mr. Palmy. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. Thanks again for joining our show. It's been fun hearing your story and learning a little bit about your company and what you do. And just some of the philosophy and thinking behind a lot of the design aspects of your career. So thank you for that. Go check out Shakes Bangkok or ShakesBKK.com. Is that right? yeah that's right shakesbk.com shakesbkk.com and look for that uh gaming share soon
2: right yeah that's it's not our website actually i haven't had time to put it up but it's on ig you can just type in cooler master motion one
0: okay yeah there you go all right thank you As we end this episode, we'd like to say thank you again to Paul Mee for sharing his insight and knowledge from the world of design. It's a good reminder that design helps improve our lives in the present, but design thinking helps us chart a path into the future. That's a callback to our quote of the day. Stay tuned for our next episode as we have another discussion with a professional about the topic of marketing. As always, this podcast would not be possible without the hard work and support of our international student production team.
1: All music and sound effects are courtesy of Pixabay.com, a vibrant community of creatives sharing copyright-free images, videos, and music. And we are signing off until next time. We are Students Incorporated, because your voice matters.